Section fourteen of Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of Miss Sidney Biddulph by Francis Sheridan. Volume one continued. September the first. I am no longer in doubt. The cause, the fatal cause of Mr. Arnold's change, is discovered. This miserable day has disclosed the secret to me. A black a complicated scene of mischief. Mr. Arnold rode out this morning. He told me he was to dine with a gentleman at some miles' distance, and should not return till late in the evening. He was but just gone, when a lady of my acquaintance called in upon me to request I would go with her to a play that was to be performed at night. You must know we have had a company of players in the neighbourhood for some time past, and it was to one of these poor people's benefits that she desired my company. I promised to attend her, though you know I don't much admire those sort of entertainments in the country, and seldom go to them. The lady and her husband called upon me at the appointed hour, and I went with them in their coach. The place which the players had fitted up for their purpose had formerly been a pretty large schoolroom, and could, with the addition of a gallery, which they had made, with ease contain above three hundred people. The play had been bespoke by some of the principal ladies in the neighbourhood, who had used all their interest for the performer, so that the house was as full as it could hold the audience consisting chiefly of fashionable people it was with difficulty that we reached the places which were kept for us in the pit as they happened to be on the bench next the stage and the door was at the other end of the house the first object that i observed on my coming in was mr falkland he bowed to me at a distance but made no attempts to approach me the play was come to the latter end of the fourth act and the curtain was let down to make some preparation on the stage, when we were alarmed with a cry of fire. It happened that the carpenters, who had been employed in fitting up this extempore theatre, had left a heap of shavings in a little place behind the stage, which had been converted into a dressing-room. A little boy belonging to the company had found a candle in it, and having piled up the shavings, set them on fire and left them burning. The flame communicated itself to some dry boards which lay in the room, and in a few minutes the whole was in a blaze. Some persons who heard the crackling of wood opened the door, when the flame burst out with such violence that the scenes were presently on fire, and the curtain, which as I told you was dropped, soon caught it. The consternation and terror of the poor people, whose all was being destroyed, is not to be described. The women, shrieking, threw themselves off the stage into the pit, as the smoke and flames terrified them from attempting to get out any other way, though there was a door behind the stage. The audience were in little less confusion than they, for as the house was composed chiefly of wood, every one expected it would soon be consumed to ashes. The horror and distraction of my mind almost deprived me of the power of motion. My life was in imminent danger, for I was scorched with the fire, before I could get any distance from the stage, 
though the people were rushing out as fast as they could. The lady who was with me was exceedingly frightened, but being under her husband's care had a little more courage than I. He caught her round the waist and lifted her over the benches, which were very high, giving me what assistance he could with his other hand. But the terror and hurry I was in occasioned my foot to slip, and I fell between two of the benches and sprained my ankle. Some people, pushing to get out, rushed between me and my company. The excessive pain I felt, joined to my fright, made me faint away. In this condition Mr. Falkland found me, and carried me out in his arms, for my companion was too anxious for her own safety to suffer her husband to stay to give me any assistance, so that he had only time to beg of the men about him not to let me perish. I soon recovered upon being carried into the open air, and found myself seated on some planks at a little distance from the booth. Mr. Falkland supporting me and two or three other people about me whom he had called to my assistance. Indebted to him as I was for saving my life, my spirits were at that time too much agitated to thank him as I ought. He told me he had stepped behind the scenes to speak to somebody, and was there when the stage took fire, that he then ran to give what assistance he could to the ladies that were in the house observe he distinguished not me in particular, and had just come in when he saw me meet with the accident which had occasioned my fainting away, and when the gentleman who was with me was calling for help, but at that same time getting out as fast as he could. I now began to recollect myself. I was uneasy at Mr. Falkland's presence. I wished him away. I beseeched him to return once more to the booth, to see if every one had got out safe, for I told him I had seen several of my female acquaintance there, for whom I was alarmed. With the assistance of the people who were about me, I said I could make a shift to get to the nearest house, which was not above a hundred yards off, from whence I should send home for my chariot, which I had ordered to come for me after the play. He begged I would give him leave to see me safe to that house, but I would not permit him, and he left me in the care of two women and a man who had come to be spectators of the fire. With the help of these people I contrived to hobble, for my ankle pained me exceedingly, to the place I mentioned, which happened to be a public house. All the rooms below were full, and the woman of the house very obligingly helped me upstairs into her own chamber. I called for a glass of water which was immediately brought me, and I desired the woman to send someone to my house, which was about a mile's distance, to order my chariot to come for me immediately. While the woman went to execute my instructions, I had thrown myself into a chair which stood close to the wainscot. I heard a bell ring and presently a waiter entered and asked if I wanted anything. I told him no. He ran hastily out of the room, and entering the next to that where I was sitting, I heard a voice, which I knew to be Mr. Arnold's, ask, were the servants found? The man replying that they were not. Then, said Mr. Arnold, Tell your mistress she will oblige me if she will let me have her chaise to carry this lady home. 
The waiter presently withdrew, and without reflecting on the particularity of Mr. Arnold's being there with a lady about whom I formed no conjectures, I was about to rise off my chair to go in to him. But being almost disabled from walking, I was obliged to creep along holding by the wainscot, when a tender exclamation of Mr. Arnold stopped me. "'My dearest creature,' said he to his companion, "'you have not yet recovered your fright.' A female voice answered him with some fond expressions, which I could not hear distinctly enough to discover whose it was, but I was soon put out of doubt when the lady added in a louder tone, "'Do you know that your wife was at the play to-night?' Mr. Arnold answered, "'No.' I hope she did not see me. Mrs. Gerard, for I perceived it was she who spoke, replied, I hope not, because perhaps she might expect you home after the play. Though Mr. Arnold, in his first emotion of surprise at hearing that I was at the play, was only anxious lest I should have observed him, yet he was not so lost to humanity as to be indifferent whether I escaped the flames or not. "'I am surprised I did not see her,' said he. "'I wish she may have got out of the house safe.' "'You are very solicitous about her,' replied Mrs. Gerard, peevishly. "'There was one there, perhaps, as anxious for her preservation as you are.' The conversation I found here was likely to become extremely critical for me, but I was prevented from hearing any more by the woman of the house— who just then entered the room to ask me how I did, and to know if I wanted anything. I had heard enough to convince me that my presence would be very unacceptable, both to Mr. Arnold and his companion, and I resolved not to interrupt them, nor, if possible, ever let Mr. Arnold know that I had made a discovery so fatal to my own peace, and so disadvantageous to him and his friend. The messenger who had been dispatched for my chariot met it by the way, and was now returned with it. I was told that it was at the door, and it was with difficulty I got downstairs leaning on the woman of the house. I found Mr. Falkland at the door. He saw that I wished to disengage myself from him after he had carried me out of the booth and though probably he did not take the trouble to execute the sham commission I gave him, which was indeed with no other view than to get him away, yet I believe he had too much respect to intrude on me, and came then with no other design than to inquire if my chariot had come for me, and how I was, after the terrible condition he had left me in, sitting at night in the open air with nobody but two or three ordinary people about me, and those strangers. This was a piece of civility which humanity, had politeness been out of the question, would have obliged him to. He told me the fire was extinguished, and happily nobody had received any hurt, and that he had only called at the house to know if I were safe, and recovered from the fright and pain he had left me in. I thanked him, and was just stepping, assisted by Mr. Falkland, into the chariot, when Mr. Arnold appeared at the door. He was alone, 
and I concluded that having heard the chariot rattle up the courtyard, he supposed it was the carriage he had ordered for Mrs. Gerard, and had come down to see if it was ready to receive her. The light which the servant who attended me out held in his hand immediately discovered Mr. Arnold and me to each other. I could easily distinguish surprise mixed with displeasure in his countenance. He asked me abruptly how I came to that place, which I told him in a few words. The cold civility of a grave bow passed between him and Mr. Falkland, who, leaving me in my husband's hands, wished me a good night, and got into my Lord V.'s coach, which waited for him. Though I knew from the discourse I had heard that Mr. Arnold did not mean to go home with me, yet as I was now seated in the chariot I could not avoid asking him. He told me he was engaged to sup with company at that house, and that probably he should not be at home till late. I knew this beforehand, and without troubling him with any further questions, drove home. I have thrown together the strange occurrences of this evening, as well as the tumult of my spirits would give me leave. I shall now lay down my pen to consider of them a little more calmly. My heart sinks in me. Oh, that I had remained in ignorance! Is it possible, my Cecilia, that Mr. Arnold, so good a man, one who married me, too, for love, and who, for these two years, has been the tenderest, the kindest husband, and to whom I never gave the most distant shadow of offence, should at last be led into—I cannot name it, dare not think of it. Yet a hundred circumstances recur to my memory, which now convince me I am unhappy. If I had not been blind, I might have seen it sooner. I recollect some passages which satisfy me that Mr. Arnold's acquaintance with Mrs. Gerard did not commence at South Park. I remember Lady V. once asked me, had she and I been acquainted in London? I said no. My lord laughed, and in his blunt way said, I will swear your husband was, for I have seen him hand her out from the play more than once. I never asked Mr. Arnold about this. It made no impression on me at the time it was spoke, and went quickly out of my thoughts. Tis one o'clock. I hear Mr. Arnold's ring at the outer gate. I tremble all over and feel as if I feared to see him. Yet why should I fear? I have not injured him. September the 2nd Mr. Arnold stayed long enough in his dressing-room after he came in last night to give me time to go to bed before he came upstairs. Not a word passed between us. I slept not the whole night. Whether he did or not I cannot tell. He asked me this morning when I rose how I did. I told him in great pain. My ankle was prodigiously swelled and turned quite black for I had neglected it last night. He said, You had better let a surgeon see it, and went carelessly out of the room. How new is unkindness to me, my friend! You know I have not been used to it. Mr. Arnold adds cruelty to—but let it be so, far be reproaches or complaints from my lips. To you only, my second self, 
shall I utter them. To you I am bound, by solemn promise and reciprocal confidence, to disclose the inmost secrets of my soul, and with you they are as safe as in my own breast. I am once more composed and determined on my behaviour. I have not a doubt remaining of Mr. Arnold's infidelity, but let me not aggravate my own griefs, nor to a vicious world justify my husband's conduct by bringing any reproach on my own. The silent sufferings of the injured must, to a mind not ungenerous, be a sharper rebuke than it is in the power of language to inflict. But this is not all. I must endeavour, if possible, to screen Mr. Arnold from censure. I hope his own imprudence may not render these endeavours ineffectual. I am resolved not to drop my acquaintance with Mrs. Gerard. While we continue upon a footing of seeming intimacy, the frequent visits which I am sure Mr. Arnold makes at her house will be less taken notice of. How Sir George would triumph at the knowledge of Mr. Arnold's deviating from virtue! How my poor mother would be amazed and afflicted! But I will, as far lies in my power, disappoint the malice of my stars. My mother shall have no cause to grieve, nor my brother to rejoice. The secret shall die with me in my own bosom, and I will wait patiently till the hand of time applies a remedy to my grief. Mrs. Gerard sent a message to inquire how I did. Conscious woman, she would not come herself, though she knew not I had discovered her. My dear good Lady V hurried to see me the instant she had breakfasted. Mr. Falkland had told her of my disaster, and her tenderness soothed and comforted me much. She sat by my bedside two hours, and her discourse alleviated the pain both of my mind and body. But now she has left me, I must again recur to the subject that wrings my heart. Mr. Arnold is enslaved to one of the most artful of her sex. I look upon his attachment to be the more dangerous, as I believe it is the first of the kind he ever had, and no woman was ever more formed to please and to deceive than she who now holds him in her chains. Into what hands am I fallen? Mrs. Gerard must have heard my story, and by the hint I heard her drop what cruel misrepresentations may she have made to Mr. Arnold. Mr. Falkland she can have no enmity to, but me she certainly hates, for she has injured me. Tis noon. I have not seen Mr. Arnold since morning. He has been abroad ever since he rose. Good God, is this the life I am condemned to lead? A new scene of affliction opened to me. Surely my fate is drawing towards a crisis. Mr. Arnold has just left me. What a conversation have we had! After entering my room he walked about for some minutes without speaking. At last, stopping short and fixing his eyes upon me, "'How long have you,' said he, "'been acquainted with Mr. Falkland?' 
I told him my acquaintance began with him some months before I was married. He was once your lover, I am informed. He was, and a treaty of marriage was concluded on between us. You would have been happier, perhaps, madam, if it had taken place. I do not think so, Mr. Arnold. You have no reason to suppose I do. I had a very great objection to Mr. Falkland, and obeyed my mother willingly when she forbid me to see him. I asked not what that object was, said he, but I suppose, madam, you will without reluctance obey me if I make the same request to you. Most cheerfully, you cannot make a request with which I should more readily comply. But let me beseech you, Mr. Arnold, to tell me what part of my behaviour has given you cause to think such a prohibition necessary. I do not say, answered Mr. Arnold, that I have any suspicion of your virtue, but your acquiescence in this particular is necessary to my peace and your own honour. A lady's being married does not cut off the hopes of a gay man. You give me your promise that you will not see him any more. I do, said I. I will give up Lady V, whose acquaintance I so much esteem. I will go no more to her house while Mr. Falkland continues there, and I know of no other family where I visit that he is acquainted with. My pride would not suffer me to inquire where he had got his information. I already knew too well, and fearing he would rather descend to an untruth than tell me his author, I declined any further questions. He seemed satisfied with my promise, but quickly left me as if the whole end of his visit to me was accomplished in having obtained it. September the 8th. What painful minutes am I obliged to sustain? Mrs. Gerard has been to see me, gay and assured as ever. She affected to condole with us on the accident that happened to my foot, with such an overstrained concern, such a tender solicitude, that her insincerity disgusted me, if possible more than the other part of her behaviour. She told me she herself had been at the play, but very luckily had got out without receiving any injury. I said I was surprised I had not seen her there. Oh, replied she, I was in a little snug corner where nobody could see me, for having refused to go with some ladies that asked me, I did not choose to be visible in the house, and so squeezed myself up into what they called their gallery, for I took nobody with me but my maid. Audacious woman! Is it not strange, my dear, that Mr. Arnold could be so weak as to humour her in the absurd frolic of going with her to such a place? For so it must have been, or perhaps she appointed him only to call for her at the play, and he might have arrived but just in time to assist her in getting out, no matter which it was. September the ninth. I was born to sacrifice my own peace to that of other people. My life is become miserable, but I have no remedy for it but patience. Mr. Arnold spends whole days abroad. 
At night we are separated on account of my indisposition, so that we hardly ever converse together. What a dreadful prospect have I before me! Oh, Cecilia, may you never experience the bitterness of having your husband's heart alienated from you! Lady V that best of creatures is with me constantly she presses me to come to her house as my ankle is now pretty well yet i am obliged to excuse myself i am distressed to the last degree at the conduct i should be forced to observe towards her yet dare not explain the motive causeless jealousy is always the subject of ridicule and at all events Mr. Arnold must not be exposed to this. September the 12th I am weary of inventing excuses for absenting myself from V. Hall. My lady is done soliciting me, yet continues her friendly and affectionate visits. I fear she guesses my situation, though she is not as yet hinted at it, but her forbearing to press me any more on the subject of going to her, and at the same time not requiring a reason for this breach of civility as well as friendship, convinces me that she suspects the cause of my restraint. I am now perfectly recovered, yet do I still confine myself to my house, to avoid as much as possible giving umbrage to Lady V. But this restraint cannot last much longer. Mrs. Gerard teases me to come to her, and I have promised to make her my first visit. September the 15th Said I not that my fate was near its crisis? Where will this impending ruin end? Take, my Cecilia, the occurrences of this frightful day. Mr. Arnold rode out this morning and told me he should not return till night. He asked me, with that indifference which now accompanies all his words, how I meant to dispose of myself for the day. I told him I had no design of going abroad and should spend my time in reading, or at my needle. This was my real intention, but Mr. Arnold had but just left the house when I received a message from Mrs. Gerard, to know how I did, and to tell me she was not well and much out of spirits, or she would come and pass the day with me, but that she insisted on my dining with her. As I had told Mr. Arnold I did not mean to go out, I really had neither intention nor inclination to do so, but shall I confess my weakness to you? I suspected that he purposed spending the day, as he often did, with Mrs. Gerard, and the more so from the question he had asked me on his going abroad. He thought I might probably pay her a visit, and this intrusion was a circumstance he had a mind to be guarded against by knowing beforehand my designs. I had not been to see Mrs. Gerard since my recovery, and it was natural to suppose I would return her visit. Possessed as I was with this opinion, her message gave me a secret satisfaction, as it served to convince me Mr. Arnold was not to be with her, for she generally detained me late when I went to her house. 
from what trivial circumstances will the afflicted draw consolation or an additional weight of grief so it was i felt a sort of pleasure in thinking that for all that day at least mr arnold would absent himself from my rival my rival mean word she is not worthy to be called so from his mistress let it be in short i resolved to go especially as she had sent me word she was not well and i knew my husband would be pleased with my complaisance i went accordingly to her house a little before her hour of dining which is much later than anybody else's in this part of the world i found her dressed out and seemingly in perfect health she looked surprised when she saw me and i then supposed that she hoped to have received a denial from me and was disappointed at my coming though i wondered that the answer she received to her message had not prepared her this thought rushed into my mind in an instant and i was sure she expected mr arnold i told her if i had thought i should have found her so well that her message should not have brought me to her for that i had determined not to stir out that day till her invitation prevailed on me to change my mind sure my dear said she there must have been some mistake in delivering the message to you for it was for to-morrow i desired the pleasure of your company to dine with me for to-day i am absolutely engaged however i am very glad you are come for i shall not go out till seven o'clock i was vexed and mortified either your servant or mine made a mistake said i for i was told you desired to see me to-day besides you sent me word you were not well she seemed a little abashed at this i was very ill in the morning she said and though i was engaged to spend the evening abroad did intend to have sent my excuse but finding myself better i changed my purpose dinner was immediately served and i sat down but with a reluctance that prevented me from eating i would have taken my leave soon after dinner but mrs gerard insisted on my staying and told me if i refused her she should think i had taken something amiss of her she called for cards i suffered myself to be persuaded and we fell to piquet i played with disgust and without attention every minute wishing to break away coffee was at length brought in i begged to be excused from staying telling mrs gerard i was sure i prevented her from going abroad but she would take no denial i was constrained to take a dish of coffee and was hastening to get it down when the parlour door flew open and lo mr falkland entered the room if an object the most horrible to human nature had appeared before me it could not at that instant have shocked me half so much i let the cup and saucer drop from hand to say i turned pale trembled and was ready to faint 
would be too feeble a description of the effect this spectre had on me. I was senseless, I almost died away. Mrs. Gerard pretended to be greatly alarmed. She ran for drops, and having given me a few in a glass of water, I made a shift to rise of my chair, and telling her I should be glad of a little air, tottered to the street door. I determined to go home directly, but the universal tremor I was now in disabled me from walking, and I sat down in the porch to recover myself a little. Mr. Falklands, having been a witness to the agony his presence had thrown me into, did not a little aggravate the horror and confusion of my thoughts. Whatever his were, he had not spoken to me, nor was it possible for me to have remarked his behaviour. I stayed not more than two minutes in the parlour after he entered. In this situation you will think my distress would hardly admit of any addition, but the final blow was yet to come. Mrs. Gerard had stayed a minute in the parlour to speak to Mr. Falkland after I went out, but presently followed me, and was soothing me with the kindest expressions when I heard the trampling of horses, and presently beheld Mr. Arnold alighting at the door. I now gave myself up for lost. My mind suddenly suggested to me that Mrs. Gerard had contrived a plot upon my innocence. But how she had been able to bring it about, my thoughts were not then disengaged enough to conceive. My mind was all a chaos. I was not able to answer Mr. Arnold when he spoke to me. He soon perceived my disorder and inquired the cause. Mrs. Gerard took upon her to answer that I was just preparing to go home when I was taken suddenly ill. I was going abroad, said she, and as I ordered the chariot much about this hour, I fancy it is ready, and may as well carry Mrs. Arnold home. You had better step into the parlour, my dear, to me, till it is brought to the door. I am now able to walk, madam, said I. There is no occasion to give you that trouble. Mr. Arnold said I should not walk by any means, and Mrs. Gerard, immediately calling a servant to order the chariot to the door, said, as she was going out, she would leave me at home herself. Mr. Arnold answered it would be the best way, and that he should follow soon. The chariot was presently at the door, and I was preparing to get into it when Mrs. Gerard cried, "'Bless me, I had forgotten. It will not be so civil to leave the gentleman behind without saying anything to him.' Mr. Arnold hastily asked, "'What gentleman?' Mrs. Gerard replied, "'Mr. Falkland, who took it into his head to make me a visit this evening?' She went quickly into the parlour, and straight returned with Mr. Falkland, who, bowing carelessly to Mr. Arnold, and civilly to me, walked away. Mrs. Gerard stepped into the chariot to me, and ordered it to drive to my house, leaving Mr. Arnold standing motionless at her door. A total silence prevailed on my side during our short journey home, 
except to answer in monosyllables Mrs. Gerrard's repeated inquiries after my health. She set me down at my own door, and took her leave without alighting. When I found myself alone I began to consider the consequences of this evening's fatal interview, an interview which, though unthought of by me, I judged was contrived to ensnare me. I laid all the circumstances together, and endeavoured to unravel the clue. "'Tis plain to me Mr. Arnold was expected by Mrs. Gerard this evening. She sent for me on purpose to betray me. The message, which she pretended was delivered wrong, was only an artifice, in order to impose on Mr. Arnold, that he might imagine she did not expect me. Indeed, he could not possibly think she should send for me on the very evening he was to be with her, and she had so well guarded her contrivance that it was not easily to be detected. She had sent her message by word of mouth, though she generally wrote them down on paper, but this way would not have been liable to misconstruction. She had told me she was engaged in the evening, yet detained me longer than I meant to stay. From the first of these circumstances it must appear to Mr. Arnold that, as I had come unwished for, she wanted to get rid of me. The latter obviously served her own purpose, for it is as clear as daylight that she laid her plan so that Mr. Arnold should find Mr. Falkland and me together. All this I have deduced from a long train of reasoning on the circumstances, but the inexplicable part of the mystery is how she contrived to get Mr. Falkland, with whom I did not think she was acquainted, to visit her at so fatally critical a juncture. Sure some evil spirit must have assisted her in this wicked scheme. She knew no doubt of the promise Mr. Arnold had exacted of me never to see him. The apparent breach of this promise she may have art enough to persuade Mr. Arnold was concerted on my side, but I hope I shall be able to clear myself of this cruel imputation to my husband. Truth must force its way into his mind if he is not resolved on my destruction. Perhaps Mr. Falkland may be secretly Mrs. Gerard's admirer and Mr. Arnold is the dupe to her perfidy, as I am the sacrifice to her malice and licentiousness. Tis all a strange riddle, but I cannot remain long in this dismal state of suspense. Mr. Arnold, perhaps, may discover her treachery, while she is endeavouring to destroy me in his good opinion. I am waiting here like a poor criminal, in expectation of appearing before my judge. I wish Mr. Arnold were come in, yet I dread to see him. I might have spared myself the anxiety. Mr. Arnold is just returned, but he has locked himself into another chamber. I will not molest him to-night. To-morrow, perhaps, he may be in better temper, and I may be able to justify myself to him, and dispel this frightful gloom that hangs over us. End of section 14